Welcome, I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show where I talk with people about the choices they've made and how they got where they are in life now. In this episode, I'm talking with Caroline Leslie. She's an actor, writer, mother, wife, entrepreneur, and so much more. She does it all and at a very high level. We had a great time catching up and talking about all the things in her life. Links to Caroline and timestamps for what we talked about are in the show notes. Please support the show by leaving a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes. There might be something of value. Enjoy our conversation. It's good to see you again. It's funny how we picked up before we started recording. We picked up, you know, like it was yesterday that we saw each other in in a in workshop or whatever. Yeah, but it's been like five years. <laughs> no, it's not been five years. I think it has. I didn't think so. And then I was talking to my kids uh, yesterday or one of these days. They're all blurring into one these days. Yeah, but true. we did the math. And I think it's been like five years since we've been back here in wow. Canada. Wow, that's incredible. I had no idea that, that. I mean, I guess the pandemic, that's two plus right. years. That's a vacuum. Yeah, that's a vacuum. <laughs> so yeah, I guess then it's a couple of years before that. Well, how old are your girls now? 11 and nine. Oh, wow. They're yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because they were tiny. They were like little, girls. little. little. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Like they're talking about, you know, boys they think are cute now. Like we're there. Oh, wow. Well, that's got to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, they don't want my husband to know. So it's always just like, like when I put it into bed at night, I'll just casually say, is there anybody you find interesting? I don't want to say cute or oh, that's my dog. And I don't want to say, you know, because I don't know, it could be a boy or a girl or sure. who knows. Yeah. So they're starting to let me know that they both find a couple of boys cute. Wow. That's wild. And what, why not? Uh, why don't they want to let their dad know your husband? know? I don't know. I think that they're, they, I don't even think they're ready to tell me, especially yeah. the younger one. She's the one that actually seems to be more interested. Oh, she's wow. trouble. She's nine. <laughs> and she for sure has a crush. And I don't, I think she told my older daughter and then it sort of trickled out. She sort of developed something to me. So now they're like opening the floodgates more, but I think it was just the, the start. It's not like I'm going to be mad. Oh, I know what she said. She thought that I was going to be like, Ooh, <laughs> sometimes I can be like a nerd. I think I'm a fun mom, but well, yeah, know. but you're still the mom and you're still <laughs> the right. authority figure. And yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You know, a lot of, um, you know, since I've been doing this, most of the conversations that, you know, I focus on having are, are about the choices, you know, people make and how they end up where they end up. Um, but it's so interesting because it's hard to track, you know, you know, preteen stuff because our brain isn't fully developed and, right. you know, what we think um, is, you know, if we remember it, it you know, it's, it's, it's kind of colored by whatever else is going on. And I think a much greater way than uh, later in life, you know, when we understand, I think the coloration a little bit better. Well, I was talking about this the other day and I couldn't remember how old it is, but it's 18 or above if I'm right, when your brain is fully developed. 24, 25, I think is, and, and 
I, you know, I'm not a scientist, obviously, so I'm not a hundred percent, but what I remember, um, because I used to work with at-risk youth and, um, and the big thing was your brain isn't done developing the part of the part of right and wrong until right. you're like 24, 25 years old. Oh, and, it's 24, 25. That's even yeah. crazier. Yeah. So some, some girls and boys are a little bit earlier. Some are a little bit later. Um, but right around the 24, 25 is when your brain finishes developing the part of your brain that, that really is in charge of right and wrong. So right and wrong and decision-making. Yeah. Well, which is decision-making really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a good decision, bad decision. You might, you might say, well, at 18, you might say, well, I know I'm not supposed to do this. And I know I'm going to get in trouble, but can't I get away with it? Or maybe so that part of your brain isn't done developing until like 24, 25 years old. We were talking about it around the context of these young people that are transgender and going through changes. And one of them is my sister's really good friend. And I know several people that their kids are going through it and they're teenagers. And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I just was wondering and considering what you're saying about that part of the brain, I would hate for them to later in life be like, oh, I didn't want to do this or whatever it is. It's happening. I mean, there are a lot of people that transition early and then go, what the hell did I do to myself? But, or not, you know, but or, or not. I mean, but it, it depends. I mean, I <laughs> it's funny. And I don't know if you would know this. And I don't think most people know this because why would it come up? But for two years, I worked at the oldest trans bar in Los Angeles uh, back in the early aughts, like oh, from 2000 to 2002. I worked at a, a bar that no longer exists. It's, it was called the Queen Mary. It was in Studio City here in LA. And uh, I think it was established as a drag bar in the 40s, in, in the late 40s, and after World War II. And they did lip syncing. They did the whole drag show, like, you know, to Wong Fu, you know, that whole thing. Um, and the, a lot of birthdays, a lot of, um, but it was fascinating. I learned more yeah. about human sexuality working there than I ever knew existed or had even the inkling, you know, at, right. at, in my early twenties, it existed, yeah. but, you know, being around, you know, before trans was cool, before it was accepted being around that world, you know, in the early two thousands, um, definitely gave me a different understanding of my sexuality and my kind of gender or how mm -hmm. I saw my gender. And I didn't, I just kind of, it, it was what it was at the time. Yeah. Now with what's going on, I think, God, would I have been confused when, if I was a teenager, like if I was 13, 14, 15, because I like, I used to, I don't know, I get, well, I guess we're, we're going there. So, you know, we can, we can, we can pivot. Um, but I honestly don't know. Um, like I used to, a friend of mine said, oh, I'm a lesbian joking around he, a guy because he was attracted to women. And, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I'm a lesbian. And I was like, yeah, I'm a lesbian. That makes total sense. I am because in every way I felt like a woman, I felt like the stereotypical woman back in the nineties of emotional 
and a, a, attachment, you know, the, all of the stereotypes for female back then, uh, I felt, I also mm-hmm. like sports. I also like being active and I, but I was attracted to women. So mm-hmm. to me, it was like uh, being a tomboy or being a lesbian made perfect sense, except I had a penis and, and back then I didn't know there was a, such thing as trans. I didn't know people no. transitioned. I had no clue until I was, I think, 21. And the first time I met a trans person and uh, I met a trans woman. It was the husband turning wife of a woman that I was training with as a dancer. And my first thought was like, that's an option. Like no one told me this. <laughs> right. Well, here in Toronto, there's, I mean, I had gay friends in high school and, you know, whatever, but there's, um, a were they really... out in high school though? Yes. Oh, yeah. interesting. None of my gay so, friends were out in high school. Yeah, no, they were. And well, one of them, it was a figure skater and he also went to an arts high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was in the drama program and the other one was just in, I was in a regular high school and, um, but he was fully out. And like, if you look back, it actually was kind of crazy because to your point, a lot of people were really afraid to admit that. Oh yeah. Um, but it, but, but there's a big gay community here on church street and they do the pride parade. And so it was probably like in my early twenties, but yeah, there was all the drag Queens and transgender and it was just a, a huge celebration, but you raised a good point about the, like you feeling uh, different or whatever, because of the emotional connect. Right. So I think back then more than now, men were really afraid to oh, show yeah. their emotions and cry. I grew up with my, my dad is super like he's an emotional dude and he will show his emotions. So I always thought that was normal. And then I, I navigated the landscape and saw these guys and I'm like, what's with them? Why won't they show me who they are? Like it was a strange time. So uh, that's interesting. So is your husband emotional with you? Like from the beginning? Uh, not really. It was kind of, in the beginning, it was more of a mystery. And I, I, I guess I had to, to get to know the real him, but he did mm-hmm. sort of have that man sort of thing, a uh, man thing. I don't yeah, know what you want right. to call it, but the, the stereotypical of yesterday, <laughs> of yesteryear, yesteryear but, yeah. but yeah, he definitely um, is. And, and as we age, he gets more and more tapped into that emotional side. Um, That's good. Yeah, it's great. And, and watching movies, I look over <laughs> and I feel like, I'm less, I'm like, oh, he's really deep into this. Okay. (laughs) That's great. Um, Yeah. But I think it's important, right? We all need to show it more. And it's yesterday here in Toronto, in Ontario, it was Bell Let's Talk Day. So Bell Media is one of our big telecom companies and they do a a day called Bell Let's Talk Day. And it's really to get people talking about their mental health and anything. They'll just tell anecdotal stories about what they've lived with, depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And they they donate five cents to mental health for every person that did a, did a post. And um, it's just like a great movement because all of these things we work on are physical health, for so long, it was this tablet. You can't say you have a problem with your brain. What do you mean? Yeah. It's a muscle. It's part of our body. Everything has changed so drastically, so fast with regards to, you know, normal behavior, whatever, whatever the word normal means. Right. And I think it's, you know, 
you know, I, I'm young in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now and I am very aware of yesteryear's mentalities and I'm young enough. And because of, you know, being an artist and, and, um, you know, living in LA, I'm very aware of this, the newer, younger generations kind of look on things mm -hmm. and, it's a lot to process. Like, you know, for me, my biggest thing looking around the world is like, can, can we just give each other a break just a little bit, maybe I agree. a little bit of space to like catch our breath because yeah. most people are going, huh? Yeah. With every, I, you know, well, what's happened in my opinion is the pendulum was over here and we needed to get over here, but it's gone. It's like yeah. so far over here that like my kids are teaching me all about this stuff and they're growing up with it, but you know, we're not allowed to say, I mean, now it's all labels. What? Yeah. I thought we weren't allowed to label people. I thought we wanted yeah. to just be, so I'm confused and maybe I'm just old, but I'm just trying to get it right. <laughs> my sister is three and a half years older than me. And and I, I didn't remember this specific, but there was a specific uh, movement of, I don't see color. I see the person yes. you are. Mm -hmm. And I forgot about that whole thing because, and I think it's because being, being an actor and, you know, looking, looking at everything from character and looking at from individuality and looking of like background, you know, backstory. Well, my backstory is, you know, the prejudice I experienced was not the same prejudice that someone with darker skin experienced. So yeah. like for me, I think I just automatically took those factors in where my sister um, very much was like, no, we're not supposed to see color. We're supposed to see the individual. And so backstory and personal experience didn't factor as much for her. Mm-hmm where I, I don't know i'm guessing you were similar to me where there's we understand the the norm but we also want to go beyond that what's your personal experience yeah 100 percent. um i i mean i always saw people but i never judged it if that makes yeah. sense um it was just you know who you are and i'm not saying like i'm so altruistic but I, I just, I None wish more people could just embrace things. Um, and there's, it's just so layered and the history. And I mean, we can't even begin to unlearn everything that we don't even know we learned. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's just very complicated. It is. It is. And, well, so, okay. So that's actually a good, uh, kind of a good segue. You know, we can't unlearn, you know, or we can't, we can't know what we don't know. Um, and, you know, learning what we learn in the beginning, it's like, you can't unlearn that it, it, it's, it's part of us. It's part of our history, you know, so right. we have to move forward. And so, you know, I'm curious, you know, just, w and also kind of sticking with the idea of labels and so forth, you know, when you were younger and you were making the choices that got you here, you know, how much did labels, were you like, I'm an actress, I'm an artist, you know, how much of those labels were important at that point in time? Because you've always, to me, been a very get or done mentality, like you're on the forefront of stuff. 
um you were good on instagram at the beginning you're on the nfts like you're like you have you don't hesitate in getting in, into things so i'm wondering like with your parents with you did you find like oh i'm an artist that's a thing that's a, that matters those labels or or was it a, an easy thing because it didn't mm. matter you were just going towards whatever was interesting to you yeah, it's an interesting question. And thank you for saying that because I always, um, I guess, a little hurt on myself thinking, oh, I'm not getting enough done. I'm not doing this. Or not. But to your point, You're a super mom, <laughs> like all the you. arts and crafts I've seen on top of, you know, all the different things you juggle. I mean, it's, it's, it is amazing. Thank you. When I step back, when I'm having like a tough day, I do try to make a list and go, oh, wait, I wear this hat, hit this, this, this hat. Okay, I'm, I'm doing a lot. Um, but no, to go back to like when I was a kid, I think I was like, I was actually a really shy kid. So the, the labels I started to receive in high school was more they were hurtful because I was shy so people thought I was a snob but I wasn't being snobby I just was shy yeah. so I think that sometimes I wouldn't be so outgoing or say things to people and they would be like oh she whoa she was brushing me off um but on the flip side of that I spent a lot of time like in my room writing and mm. just doing monologues by myself or you know, with the door closed, like by myself, just doing this creative stuff. So wait, um, were you doing monologues before you even performed or, or thought yes. of yourself as an actor? Yeah. Huh. So it started in uh, grade eight. Uh, I took an interest in wanting to act. And I started doing an after school acting class called Lifetime Learning. And we put on a show and I remember it was the song Imagine was the backstage song. John Lennon, yeah. John Lennon, Imagine. So every time I hear that song, I'm going to be 44 in July. This was when I was 13. I still get nervous. I get butterflies that, you know, that recall. Music's a big one, right? Oh, Sent yeah. music. Yep. So yeah, through that, I really liked it. And I did end up getting an agent in high school, but and that's when I started just doing all this stuff in my room, just playing with the muscle and seeing what I could do. But the, the get her done thing, I think is from my dad because he was always like, go big or go home. Mm. Um, you know, my real last name is Scareco. Leslie's my middle name. So it's like Scarecos don't quit. You see it through. Mm. Like the messaging was always very positive and optimistic, but also like you can do it if you just put your mind to it. So I think that's, I mean, it's definitely <clears throat> stuck with me. I mean, here I am <laughs> still yeah. in the game. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that's something that I'm grateful that I had that sort of messaging from a young age. Um, and even after I graduated from theater school, I went to Ryerson here in Toronto, mm -hmm. you know, I started to get out in the real world and I was like, whoa, what? this is not what I sort of thought this was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, maybe you can't be prepared, but I definitely yeah, no. don't feel anyone I know is prepared for the, the real world. No, it, it's yeah. brutal. <laughs> yeah. And so I, it's brutal. It, that's it. And so I remember 
being in my, I had moved back with my parents and I remembered, I was like, okay, I am not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be a private detective. So I, I'm looking up these online courses and this was not like, it was probably like six months after yeah. I graduated. And my dad's like, you just trained for three years to be an actor. You're going to just leave it and go and be a private eye. Maybe give it a shot. That's <laughs> like fair point. Although Novel. I would have been a good PI, I think, but I'll play one on TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, being a PI though, interestingly, it tracks with being an actor because being an actor, you are a detective of the character. You have to find yourself. You have to find the, the writer and the character that the, the writer wrote. So, I mean, yes. the detective, all the nuance, the psychology, I mean, it, it's yeah. definitely part and parcel. It makes sense. That totally makes sense to me. Right. And you're studying the individuals, mm -hmm. which it, it definitely correlates and you're researching, which yep. I love to research when I get a scene and, you know, um, the backstory and all of that stuff. So the researching part makes sense. You're right. It does. It does definitely uh, correlate to, to acting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious this, I don't know, maybe this is a leap, but, um, you're obviously you're, you're super artistic and, and creative and, and all the little projects that you have and, and, um, going back and thinking about, you know, while you were doing monologues in your bedroom, uh, and being shy, do you think, and again, maybe totally off base, but do you think there's an element of, of you had an innate need for self-expression and you were just, it wasn't that you were shy. It's that you didn't have the right way to express yourself yet. And yeah. you were looking for, because you do so many things and yeah. now shy is the last word I would use to describe <laughs> you. No, I'm not shy anymore. Right. And so I'm wondering if maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a perfectionism thing, but maybe there's something that you were like, I need the right way to express myself. I need to be seen the way I want to be seen or something along those I, lines. I think that's right. Um, I'm the youngest child. I have a sister who's three years older and my dad is extremely loud and boisterous, funny mm. guy. My sister's also very loud. My mom is the opposite, very quiet. Mm. And being the younger shy kid, I was not heard a lot. Not that they weren't trying to hear me. It's just that life is busy. And yeah, I think that because I'm such a creative person that I would, yeah, I'd go in there and I would, some of the scenes I would do, I remember this one monologue, I loved it. It was this, it was so dark. It was this couple and they were making out in a car, but the carbon monoxide went in through the windows and he, and he, wait, oh no. No, what that couldn't have been it because she's she lived. It must have been he was in a car and he died. And the whole monologue, because the carbon monoxide came in, and right. the whole monologue is, oh, if the windows were open just a crack, and, and she's crying because she lost this person she loved. And I remembered really connecting and wanting to feel that emotion and express it. And so there's that one side of that artistic way. And then the other thing I was doing a lot during high school was photography. So I mm took my summer earnings and I went and bought an enlarger and I got the chemicals and I created a dark room in my parents' cold cellar, which is not good because it wasn't ventilated. So oh, let's, let's hope none of this uh, shows up in my coming years. Um, but I spent a lot of time creating and, and so you're right, those were outlets for me to express, I guess, creatively. And it's still to this day, to your point, like, 
when I'm not working as an actor, I need to be either writing or now I've found the resin art and, mm. and I need to be doing something creative. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like every time I turn around, you've got some new creative outlet or, <laughs> or, or a new aspect of it that I'm like, wait, when did you start doing this? Like the, <laughs> the first time I saw the resin, I was, I was like, how long has this been going on? <laughs> well, that sort of was a, it started in the pandemic because, you know, the kids were at home. John was back at home. He hosts a television show. So our house was really stretched and I didn't have anywhere to go. Prior to that, the kids were at school. John was in the studio and I had a lot of time to myself and space to do my voice auditions, do my self tapes. And so I, but that wasn't was enough. Almost, oh. <laughs> you, needed, you needed more. Well, it was almost out of necessity. And to be honest with you, it was just going to be a one-time thing. I saw, believe it or not, an Instagram, one of those sponsored ad that yeah. comes across your feed. And it's like, make these geo coasters. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I ordered this starter kit of resin and, and they were awful. Like they had, they didn't harden properly. It was mm. not a good, I was like, oh, this is really hard. But then what did I do? Dove in further. And you're right about the perfection thing, I think, because it became a challenge for me. I wanted to perfect it. I was like, yeah. this is really difficult, but I will master this. And there was actually a stretch there because I do ocean art and the ocean yeah. waves. And I couldn't get the lacing of the waves how I wanted them to be. And I became a little bit obsessed. And there was like a three-month stretch where I said to John, I can't do it the way I want to do it. I've watched so many videos because I'm self-taught yeah. and I'm learning and I'm watching and I'm trying. And, and then one day it clicked and it was also, it's a science too. this, oh, because yeah. it has to be a certain temperature and the, the weight of the pigment changes the way it operates and the mm -hmm. heat gun setting and the angle. So once I mastered it, it was like, oh, I've done it. I can do this. And now I just look at the old stuff. I'm like, what was that? Yeah. And it's the same thing for me with writing. Like I, I've written pilots and scripts over the years. And I, you know, I always like to revisit them a couple years later. And sometimes I'm like, that's great. And other times you're like, what was I thinking? Yep. It's funny. I look back at some of the stuff that I wrote in the process. And the hardest thing for me was doing horrible things to the people that I had feelings for these, these characters <laughs> that I created, I had these feelings for these characters and I'm like, Oh God, I got to kill them or I got to, you know, break their leg or I've got to do something <laughs> horrible to them. And it was like, Oh God, this is the worst. Oh my gosh. It's like <laughs> Stephen King or like misery with, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the hobbling <laughs> and right. misery. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, to some extent, you know, whatever you're working on, you love, I mean, this is an extension of yourself. And, you know, when you're writing characters, it's like, you don't want them. It's like your children. You don't want, I mean, I don't have kids, but I'm assuming, you know, I've, um, I'm assuming this is, would be apropos. Um, you don't want them hurt. You, you don't no. want them experiencing, you know, the traumas if you can keep them from it. So same thing yeah. with writing. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. It's funny. I think um, time will tell. I mean, I want to, I, I kind of fantasize about getting back to writing. Um, yeah. you know, I still make notes and I still kind of will write little scenes or whatever. Um, but I definitely think that either ad adaptation of 
real stories would be better or easier for me, more fulfilling because it's like, well, it's already happened. <laughs> like I'm not hurting this person. Yeah. I'm just, you know, sculpting what actually took place. Or well, many of the successful shows, they're like, oh, it was my aunt Sheila and I just made them this character. And, yeah. you know, they always say, write what you know, um, which is <laughs> good and bad, I think, because yeah. then the people will see it or read it. And, and then wonder, wonder, because <laughs> I questions. wrote, <laughs> right, because I wrote a book, actually, a young adult novel in, I don't know, 2019, it was right before the pandemic. And there's a lot of real stories in that book. Like yeah, I remember that's on that was on I uh, put that on what Wattpad or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it was on Wattpad because I was working for Wattpad at the time. I was um, a content producer and did like shows for them and tap fiction stories and stuff. So I was writing for them. And then outside of that, I wrote this book and I put it on Wattpad and then I self-published on Amazon. But it's a diary, like it's a first person from a teenage voice. So there actually was stuff in there from my teenage like diaries and poetry books that I went and I had found in my parents' house. Cause I mean, I moved to New York in 2005 and I just like left everything. Like there's just like all this stuff. Like I was like, see you later. Yeah. So I found these. And so there's a lot of real stuff from, from my journals, but then there's also, it's a fake story as well, but then there's real stuff that like from my relationships and people mm -hmm. I knew. So anybody that read that, that knows they're like, so it's a vulnerable place to oh, yeah. put myself in. Cause some people might be like, you put that in your book. How dare you? But you know what? But it's the other real. side of that is, is if 30,000 people read it or, or 500,000 or, you know, 6 million, there's probably only three people that know what yeah. was real and what's not exactly, you know, and none of them read it probably. That's right. That's, that's what I was figuring. Yeah. <laughs> Except one. Oh yeah. Well, anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I <digress>. <laughs> so, okay. I'm just kind of curious if, if, um, I, I think I would find it interesting. So you, you've listed off a few different things. You do resin, you're, you're writing, you're an actor. Would you just kind of go down the list for me? Uh, I'm just kind of curious since high school, since you went, you got out into the real world, you started acting, how many different jobs, professions, or hobbies that have kind of turned into businesses have you had? Mm, okay. Let's go through this. This should be interesting. All right. So, uh, yeah, I was doing photography and acting in high school, and then I got into both, but I went to theater school instead of photography. Then I graduated and I was a Bud Angel, which means I toured around with Budweiser and it was oh. a promo modeling gig, but I wasn't in a bathing suit. I was the badass NASCAR tire changing yeah. chick. So I would go to bars and I, I, had, I, I was the manager. Picture. I think I saw something yeah. Yeah, years yeah. back. Yeah. So I was the manager. There was me, a guy and another girl, and we would go around Ontario in this huge cube van. And inside of it was a replica NASCAR, which we would unload and bring into a bar. And there's a contest. And if the people won, they would get like um, prizes or a trip to New York was one of them. Oh, wow. And they'd have to try to change the tires faster than me and my partner, Andrea. So two chicks and nobody could do it because obviously we were trained. I, my arms have never looked so good. So you literally <laughs> had to change the equivalent of an NASCAR tire there on the spot? Yeah. Multiple and it was times timed. a day. Yeah. So we would just, oh yeah. So it was great. Like we'd be lifting the tire. My arms were totally buff. And, um, and no, nobody could beat us. I think maybe once in that whole tour, one, one uh, you know, 
a team of guys beat us. It was two guys each time to try and beat our time. Um, so there was that then, were, oh, this is a good one. Were you ever asked to like by the higher ups to, Hey, let someone win so that we can say someone has won or was it? Oh, they would still get like hats and t-shirts oh, okay. and like beer. Like it was still like, they get so still stuff. fun. It's still right. Yeah. And like someone won a trip to New York. So people did win, but it yeah. was like, I forget how it was structured. It was many moons ago, but there was still happiness going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, but it's just so funny. I'm imagining, you know, you and another woman just kicking butt and changing yeah. tires and people just going, what the hell is going on here? Because this was, yeah. Well, they feel like they're rugged, but it was like, we clearly had trained to do it. And, yeah. and this is before yeah. New York. So this is 20 years ago then. Yeah. So this is before. Um, this would have been like 2002, maybe 2000. Yeah, and, yeah probably around there. That's yeah. Awesome. All right, so, so that was super fun. And, and with that company, I did all kinds of fun stuff. I did like a a promo for Labatt where we were trying to uh, fake picket on the streets of downtown Toronto, where we had picket signs. And that was really an acting sort of gig because yeah, yeah. we acted like it was real. We were trying to um, do a four day work week. I think it was, or start work late or something. And we're out there picketing, but then it was really like the Labatt sign was this small. So we would like try to get people to sign this petition, but it was all just like a joke. So that was all through that same, like, promo modeling stuff i did some weird sounds stuff. like a good thing a four-day work week though i think yeah that's i know definitely right? should be the norm who has that someone has that now is it like yeah uh, someone what's your like, norway i don't know anyway um one of the, the gigs i did through that though was like i don't regret a lot of things in my life this one i look back and i'm like eesh so i had to be painted all gold my entire face and i was wearing like this gold sparkly bikini top <laughs> and i was the gold girl at like a fancy work event like a Jeez. you know she she la la thing however what they failed to tell me when i signed up for this because i was always like i'll only do the like really fun stuff like the i'm not in a baby this one they're like it's gonna be really fast it's like two hours uh, no i had to be in the middle of a table you like standing so, on a table no, no. So they cut out a circle. <laughs> so that might be worse. They had food around the table <laughs> yeah, and I'm in worse. the middle painted gold. And I'm like, what am I doing here? This is bad. I need wow. to get out of here. Even the people at the event felt bad for me. Like it was oh, not yeah. like the men were like, are you cold? You're are prison. you okay? Like you're, I couldn't even walk around, which they never yeah. told me. So I think, I think I left early. I think I was like, this is dumb. Anyway. Um, but the next job I did was I was a, okay. So I worked for a magician company oh, cool. and I taught kids magic after school at, at first. And then I didn't like that very much because the tricks that they taught me were super simple. And this was a sophisticated private school in Toronto. And so the kids were like, out. what are you doing? I can see the ball. And then they're like, <laughs> I don't know. They're talking about famous basketball players coming to their house after school. So I pivoted and I started working in the office and I actually became a talent agent for magicians. Oh, wow. And this was a company of magicians all over North America. So I was like the booker for the shows and God, that must have been fun. great training to understand the entertainment business from, yeah. you know, from an acting side. Yeah. Because... And it, it was great. And at the same time I was auditioning and they were flexible so I could go and work and then come back and do this. Yeah. Um, and that was like, same, like right after I graduated, after I had done the summer of the bud stuff and the promo stuff. 
Um, so there was that. Then, <laughs> then when I moved to New York, I was a, a red carpet host for Entertainment Weekly. So I did all the you know, Sundance and TIFF and the EW parties and the Emmy parties. Nice. And I would fly to LA and then Toronto, but I was based in New York. So that was a really cool gig. So um, wait, that sounds like it would be a little bit more difficult to get than, yeah. you know, receptionist or a booker or, <laughs> um, you know, because I mean, I have to imagine the, the bud girl um, and the Labatt thing to a certain extent, being a being an attractive woman young was probably the number one qualification then number two are you strong or, or will you get well, so for the butt thing it was mainly yes are you attractive but they also for that particular gig wanted personnel so they did want funny people yeah. because they wanted it to be people that could talk with people and be like one of the guys more at the bar rather than the typical i'm a butt girl in the bathing suit not yeah, that yeah, i'm yeah. saying you know but they did they just wanted that but Absolutely. So when I got this gig, everybody was like, huh? Because I was fairly new to New York. Yeah. And being a Canadian, you have to get an O-1 visa, which mm -hmm. is uh, an alien of extraordinary ability. And so it was, <laughs> I feel like you should just put that on your resume. I'm an alien of extraordinary ability. <laughs> like, I know. I almost that's my one um, talent. <laughs> right. I almost uh, wrote a short film about that called alien of extraordinary ability. And then I didn't. Um, so for your, to your point about all the things that I do and all the things I see through, you should realize how many ideas <laughs> I have oh, yeah. that we've never seen the light of day or never come oh, to yeah. fruition. I know so, that personally. Right. But I <laughs> yeah. get excited when I see it through. I'm like, I've done this. It, I had an idea and I made a product. And that's part of the reason I love doing the resin because you get to see something yeah. so quickly. Right. You know, when you work in, in this business, sometimes it takes a year before you even see what you worked on. And of yeah. course, you love being in the moment and doing the scene and having that um great time with the other actors on set but then you're like where is it it's very <laughs> ephemeral yeah right ephemeral i mean it's yeah i think one of the reasons why i love acting though is also because i get to tackle new things constantly so it's yeah. you know it's kind of going back to that perfectionism kind of thing because there's every single character is new every single project's new every single audition is new and um it, it's Unfortunately, there's no money in just enjoying the newness of auditions. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Or, or the newness of projects. Uh, it's unfortunate because, God, I'm sure the, the two of us would be, you know, have ridiculous sums of money if all of our, our ventures. <laughs> Honestly, if fruitful, you think but... about the amount of, I don't think people, I mean, some people realize, but I don't think everyone fully understands how much time and work goes into all of the auditions and the, yeah. and, and everything. And so when people are like, oh, well, they were an overnight success. No, they weren't. Go no. look at their IMDb. Go look. They've been doing this. They've been slogging away for years and years and years. Most of them. There's yeah. the odd I mean, case. There's, there's the odd case. But even I did a show, I did an episode of a show, I don't know how many years back and the lead, um, you know, one of the six leads, he was kind of the, the boyfriend of the show. Uh, this was his first TV job, had no TV credits. Here I am struggling to get an audition for a decent role. And he's gotten, and I've got a, a bunch of co-stars and other TV credits and film credits and so forth. He's got zero film and TV credits. And I don't, he wasn't on Broadway. 
I think he had done some, you know, little theater show in the village and the writer of the show happened to live there, see him and just like, oh, he's perfect. You know, he'll, and plugged him right in. I see him all the time now. He's not mm. famous. I don't know if I'd call him a good actor. I don't, I don't know if I'd call him charismatic, but mm. he's, he's been working for at least the last 10 years. Wow. There is that sort of muse thing that happens there's um a movie that i actually want to see called licorice pizza yeah I've seen that one i haven't seen it yet i want to see it right and she's a singer uh the star but there's a whole backstory and connect through her mom teaching what's the director's name uh, it's escaping me um anyway she yeah. taught him Famous and guy. then <laughs> Famous, 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 famous. Oh, yeah. It's embarrassing that I'm not saying his name. Yep. Anyway, um, she taught him in high school and he was aware of her at Coachella and oh, they got, he got to know her through her music and he started directing her music videos. And then it sort of came about that the mom, she's like, you know, my mom taught you. And he goes, oh, who's your mom? But then he loved her. She was like this great teacher and he still had a painting that, they, that she had like oh, guided wow. him through. That's, yeah. Right. And so he said, one day I'm going to put you in a movie. And he did. And she's the star of Licorice Pizza. But go. she never knew she had that in her. Like he believed she could be the lead of this movie just from knowing her from her, I guess, her performing in the music and stuff, which is still performing. It's just yeah. a different thing. Yeah. Different venue. So there's, there are these stories where it happens, but, you know, oftentimes it's many, many, many years of all this stuff not. that you don't get paid for. Yeah. And and then even even mega famous people have difficult times getting projects made and getting getting things, you know, off the ground because there's so much money involved. There's so many people involved, you know, a single day on a network TV show is like, you know, several hundred thousand dollar budget for one just one day. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, I get it. I understand. But at the same token. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I have no interest in, in complaining about the film industry. Um, it just is what it is. It's just, it's a difficult business that outsiders can't possibly understand because it does not operate like any other industry. No. So, I mean, just to get back to how you ended up as a, as an interview on red carpets, I mean, oh, yeah. you're, you're doing all the things and did you ever want to be a host or an interviewer or anything like that? Yeah. So that's actually a really interesting story, how it came about. Um, there's two things that happen. And again, these are things like, I always like to think about the movie, Benjamin Button, you know, when mm. those certain timing and things and all these sequence of events happen, she gets hit by the bike and all these things happen to lead to that one, yep. one thing. So I often think about, well, I met this person who introduced me to this person and I took this film class and that's how I came to meet John or whatever. So with mm -hmm. this in New York, I landed in New York and I thought, well, I, you know, I don't know where to begin here. So I was going on, do you remember Mandy.com? Oh yeah. So I was, thing? I don't know, but I hit Mandy hard and Craigslist, like anything yeah, yeah. that came up that didn't seem like it was porn or I was yeah. going to die. When Craigslist would... was a little bit more reputable at the time. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little yeah. better then, but Mandy was definitely, they had legit stuff. And so I had actually got this, project 
called The Captain Humphreys Project. Now, this was a web series. This was a YouTube show about a man sailing around the world in the smallest boat. <laughs> nice. Wait, but this is so, two. So YouTube existed was 2004. Yeah. So this was this was 2006, I want to okay. say. So a couple um, of years into what do we do with this new Internet thing? Yeah. So it was really new. And I went to this audition and it was at a brownstone on the Upper West Side, beautiful, large brownstone. But I did text John at the time. We were just dating. We weren't married. And I said, this is the address I'm at. I've gone to this audition, but I'm not entirely sure. If you don't hear from me in 30 minutes, call the police. Um, I went in, super nice guys, uh, David O'Connor and his father. And they cast me in this Captain uh, Humphrey show as a host. And I was really excited because it was, you know, YouTube and I felt like it was a new like, the forefront and doing this. He's, um, he's Carol O'Connor's nephew, Archie Bunker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just how funny New York is. I didn't even know that when I started working with them. And then it made sense how they had this humongous brownstone on the Upper West Side because they were just sort of making these web shows. And uh, so I had footage from that as a host. Okay. I had started working in voiceovers. So I had the process. My O-1 visa was in, in thing, but I needed more of a sponsor. So I had the agent. I was working with Innovative, which I can tell you how I got with them as well as a separate story. There's all these things, as I'm saying, yeah, that I mean, aligned. they're a big agency. I mean, yeah. Innovative is no joke. I mean, even to this day, at the time in New York, I think they were even bigger mm -hmm. um, than than LA like their their yeah. New York office is like way bigger and more powerful yes um I think who was that like people celebrities would walk in all the yeah. time like Marissa Tomei came in all the time anyway so so I had that going and I needed um like the O one was in process so I was already wheels and like I could work right so through the voice stuff I was doing through innovative and I'll tell you how I got with innovative um, and so this thing comes on Mandy.com and it's like red carpet host audition. And I don't even think it said entertainment weekly. It was just like uh, interview celebrities, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, cool. I can do that. Submit. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, I could do that. I'd love to do that. So I submit <laughs> through Mandy and, uh, I get the call. I go and meet with them at a coffee shop on the Upper West Side and, uh, had a great interview and they booked me and I got the job, but there's a funny part to this. They almost didn't see me. They almost didn't see me for the interview because I only had, I mean, I had done hosting stuff in Toronto, but it was live. I didn't yeah. have like footage to send them and they wanted a video clip. So the video I sent them was from this web show, the captain Humphreys project. However, when I sent the clip in, I didn't realize that the link would change the next day so that they had several hosts. Oh. So there was another girl who they saw. So apparently the producers told me afterward, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and then the producer who hired me goes, no, but that name doesn't match up. That's not Caroline Leslie. That's oh this girl. Thank like God it almost didn't happen. Right. And he was oh, so wow. attention to detail. This guy was like on point with like, I worked with him for a few years doing this mm -hmm. and he was really that person. He was super, had his shit together and a great producer. So he noticed and goes, hers is super funny. And what he saw 
the hosting thing I had done was David Blaine had set up a, a sphere in the middle of Lincoln Center full, filled with water. And he oh, the, was going the holding to, the breath thing. Yes. And so I did a, a hosting thing outside of the David Blaine thing because all of these things were really wacky and it was like not just tied to the man sailing around the world. This episode was me going up to like the security guard and and like almost like um, Tom Green sort of stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I was like, um, but can we just move the ball like to the left? Like it's, <laughs> and the security guard. So it was like a really funny kind of clip. Nice. And so that's what brought me in. They were like, that was hilarious. We loved it, but they almost didn't see it. Anyway, so uh, that's how I got that job. And then that pushed through everything. And I got like the one and they sponsored me and it was already in motion and it really pushed it through. So it was like me being on top of things and hitting the ground running, but it was also really lucky, right? I mean, we hear this a lot that sometimes these things happen because of that that it was lucky like what if he didn't see that it wasn't my name and and just bypassed me and okay. i think that happens so this i know we're running out of time so um that's a that's a perfect kind of segue I, to I can tie go this a little up. longer okay um so um so your your series of events happening and you know kind of luck playing into it a lot of people I would say, get in their own way and trying mm -hmm. to explain to people, you know, what it means to get in your own way and then how to get out of your own way. If that's what you're used to doing is a really difficult thing, I, I think to explain and, and show. And so my first question is, is did you ever feel like you were in your own way? Because you've just had this trickle. I mean, you're able to rattle these things off and they, and they happen because you just put yourself out there, you know, miss, I used to be shy. <laughs> so, well, it's, it's complicated and I'm not sure I fully understand or know the answer because I think what happens is if you overthink it, you're stuck. Right. So sure. I was nervous and I thought, how would I ever get this audition through mandy.com and that it's entertainment weekly? Like it doesn't even seem real. You'd think it would yeah. go through a high big agency, but it happened. Right. Yeah. And so in the moment when I get there, I think what happens to me is I do let go. Right. I like my brain goes away. Cause when I was younger in my twenties, I couldn't, right. I was too stuck in my head and, mm -hmm. and I was, you're dead in the water. So I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just being now, I can't explain how I got here. It took me a while. I feel like I meet people all the time, not as much with the pandemic, but I'm, I used to meet people like really, really frequently. And I'd meet people, you know, in their fifties and sixties that were still getting in their own way. I yeah. mean, my, my father called me this morning to say, okay, what's going on here. I, I, he's into remote control airplanes now he's retired. And, <laughs> and so he's like, I, I have tremendous anxiety about going and flying. And my first thought was, I was like, well, just go and crash the plane, get it over with. And then you won't yeah. have anxiety about it. But right. we ended up talking for like 30 minutes and the long story short is that he needs to feel productive because he, he was an entrepreneur. He spent his entire life, you know, building business and, and creating new things and he's bored. And right. so now he's creating uh, mountains out of molehills 
yeah. you know, for his enjoyment to have a sense of um, consequence and uh, anxiety and, and difficulty and struggle. Yeah. And um, you know, he's getting in his own way. So like, you, yeah, time I've I, known you, you don't do that. Or at least well, obvious. Well, I will say this um, to talk about what you just mentioned with your father and, and to sort of understand how I operate. My dad did always say another thing he said is there is nothing to fear except fear itself. Yeah. And I do live JFK, my life that way. Famous right. quote. And he said it over and over growing up. And yeah. I do live my life subscribing to that. But that's awesome. Many days. I'm not like, I try to do one thing every day so it scares me, but every, there, it can be different levels of that. And many days mm -hmm. I don't, but, uh, I think the other day, John and I were sort of talking about it. There must be some sort of element where I am a bit of a thrill seeker. I think because a lot of the things I've done in my life, like there was an independent film I did in New York where I had to jump out of a plane and for the role because she was scared of heights. And, you know, that's definitely like a thrill seeking type of thing, or yeah. even just, you know, going to set what we do when you're not the lead of the show every day, you're walking into the unknown oh, yeah. and meeting new people and performing. And for a lot of people, that would be the most terrifying thing in the entire universe. Um, but once you get past the, whatever the nerves or the fear, you're just in it. Like another thing I did when I was doing that early on hosting wacky stuff in New York mm -hmm. was fleet week came to New York and all the sailors were lined up in a formation oh, cool. on the, the, um, you know, outside of the aircraft the carrier on, yeah, okay. on the, one of the piers by the Hudson. And he's like, Hey, go my producer was like, okay, hey, go, you're going to go, go sing. And he wrote this song fleet week and they're all information. And I'm in a, like a little jean skirt and I'm singing with a microphone, this song in front of all these sailors. And I look back and I'm like, Holy, that was, cause they're all like not moving a muscle cause they're information and they can't, I'm like trying to like, so it was kind of like, you know, fun, but also doing something that scared you. And conquering that fear mm -hmm. like even this past weekend I hadn't skied in like 20 years and so that for me was something that scared me that day and I did a lesson and he's like do you think you can ski this hill and it, they're fairly large hills because it's my sister's private ski club and I look up and I'm like your guess is as good as mine and he's like all right <laughs> let's go and I'm like okay but then it was the same thing right so I get to the top of the hill and I was scared and I looked down and I'm like I don't know if I can do this and then I went stop, just do it. Because if you're going to overthink this right now, mm -hmm. you're going to fall, hurt yourself, yeah. whatever. You need to just go off the cliff as it were. I'm going off the cliff. And, and I did, and I did just fine. And we did several runs and, and I had a great time and I'm glad I did it. And afterwards, John goes, I couldn't tell you were scared at all. And I said, well, I can, I can mask it pretty good. But I was literally like, hmm, I don't know. But I think that that, that, you just, I don't know, like you're just saying, that, <laughs> you just go for it. But, but, but when I think of it, I always think that I'm, it's weird. Like for my brain, I'm like, oh, wow. I think because I still 
that little person is always still inside of us, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, you don't let go of who you are innately and, and your childhood. And I think that sometimes I'm still that shy little girl, you know, and I'm, but then you're right. I look at all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm not. I mean, when you move, I mean, some would say just moving to New York is, is a massive undertaking. So when you moved to New York, was there any trepidation? Was there anything like, or did your parents or did anyone say, New York's dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a really good question because ever since I was 14, I had a plan that I wanted to go to California. I wanted to go to LA. Uh, And then segued or sidetracked. Sidetracked. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it happened because of John. So John was offered to do, we were, we had only been dating for one year and he had been offered to do a year in New York at the NASDAQ covering the markets. And uh, I went down and visited. Yeah, it was a great job at, for, for uh, BNN and um, in, in Canada, which is the flagship business news channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, do you, do you want to come with me? And I was like, and, and it was like, whoa, like, first of all, this is a big step to move to New York. Second of all, this is a big step to move to New York with you. Yeah. We've only been dating about, a year. And I mean, a year. No. A year's not a short time, but it's also not a long time. So right. had you talked about future, especially at that age, had no. you talked about nothing? So there's I mean, no we, we, of we said time. we loved each other and, yeah. and I knew because I had dated other people for a year, year and a half. And by that point, you're always kind of like, eh. yeah. like for me, at least I was like, I'm, this is not going to work. But with, with never him, took I, me that long, but yeah. right. I, After you know, I know I'm like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, but here's what I would do. I would torture myself. So it'd be like six months. I'm like, oh, it's not going to work. Maybe we'll try then another six months. Why was I dragging it out? Right. Anyway, with John, I knew, but that's a very fair question about like my parents. They were really supportive. And that's amazing. Yeah. They were like, you've wanted to go and see what the American market is like it's New York. It's not LA, but you can get to LA, which I got to LA. Yeah. And, uh, so I dove in and then it was only supposed to be a year and we were in New York for six years. Oh, wow. Okay. And that was yeah, because, because of his job or because well, a combination? Well, because we didn't want to leave. So New York was yeah. really good to me and it was really good to John. And, uh, we both had wonderful success in New York. So we, we just stayed. I had, I think I was on two Oh one visas there and John moved to Bloomberg News in the U.S. Mm. and he was doing work with CNN. And so why leave when you're yeah, on top of the in New York? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and then we moved to the West Coast. We moved to San Francisco in uh, 2011. Just out of curiosity, just to kind of if you don't mind digging a little bit deeper, was there any was it just like, well, you know, face your fears, you know, have nothing to fear but fear itself. Or was there any kind of a deeper uh, introspective process or, or ritual or anything that you did regarding John in New York? I mean, because those are two massive things all at the same time. You're, you, you're, you're, you're taking a relationship to the next level. You're, you're leaving everything, you know, you're moving to a new country, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just not just New York City, which is for any American is a big deal to move to New York City, but it's a new country as well. So yeah. And I didn't have my working papers yet. Oh, so you didn't even know how you were going to make a living at that point in time or, 
Oh, wow. No. So you... I knew that I wanted to act and that I wanted to yeah. try to get a visa in, in New York. I had been talking about it in Toronto and talking with people about how you do that. But no, I knew that I could stay for six months because as a Canadian, you're allowed to come to the U.S. for, for six months okay. at a time. And then you have to go back. So I went back and then I came back. So I knew that like I'd have to figure it out or I yeah, couldn't yeah. stay. But at that so... time, it was only supposed to be a year. But no, to answer your question... I think with me, it's more of a gut instinct mm. sort of thing where I can't explain it, but I don't overthink it like cerebrally, mm -hmm. but I just know that this is the right course of action. And it's happened to me several times in my life where it kicks in. And I'm like, it's just like, this is, this is the right thing to do. This is what we have to, this is what I have to do. And, or this yeah. is what we have to do. And, and when it doesn't, I get like, oh, what's happening? Why is it not kicking in? And I like, it bugs me because I, yeah. I want to make the decision. I want to know what the next thing is. And if I'm just sort of floating around and I'm, and it's an end, I'm in between things. Then I, I, I feel, I feel put off. Um, it's, it's really super interesting to me because I have a theory about instincts and decision-making that it's, it's a learned process. And you can learn to have better instincts. You can learn to make better decisions. And I've been playing with, I've actually been trying to create a course around decision-making. And I think I kind of have the nuts and bolts figured out, but I haven't really been able to road test it yet. And I'm curious, you know, you're, because you're a person of instinct and because, you know, a lot of a lot of what you're doing sounds like you're, you're trusting your inner voice, your instincts, and you've developed that, you know, it seems like you've really developed that. Are you able to track? Does that make sense to you that, you know, instincts are something learned and something that you grow over time? Does that track for you in your experience? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does for sure. And, and they've gotten better mm -hmm. over the years and, just navigating also my life and what I have time for and what I don't have time for. And I think it's important to note that being able to do what's right for you and being able to say no sometimes is okay. Yeah. Uh, I think, especially as actors, because we're so far down the totem pole, many times we're just trying to please everybody. Um, you know, now that I'm a strong female in my early forties, I I'm able to, you know, I, I, I can do what's right for me and say no to things. And yep. I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really, really important. I wish, I wish I had understood more of, you know, the saying no in the beginning. And I think I think my path would have just drastically been different and maybe I wouldn't have done as much stuff. Maybe I would have done completely different stuff. You know, it's, it's impossible to really know, but saying no and saying, well, this isn't how I see my life and accepting this just because it's an acting job is not necessarily the right choice. Mm -hmm. You know, right. there is, um, there's something to be said for saying I have a vision for my life and I'm going to stick to it. And I feel like, uh, I definitely did not do that when I got mm -hmm. here. Did I, you do it at all? Like I did, I did say no to a few things. Uh, one of them's a really interesting story if you want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. 
<laughs> so, you know, the cult movie, The Human Centipede? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> when I lived in New York, I had a very interesting, colorful manager. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, I have this audition for you. It's over Zoom. And they're in, um, uh, what's it called? The Netherlands. Uh-huh. They're in Holland. And you'll do this Zoom audition. And it was for the human centipede. And they had seen this short film that I did where I was tied up in an insane asylum, locked up screaming, like very much the role, the lead yeah. girl. So they had me audition and they, they literally were like showing me drawings, like holding up pictures of the girl with the bum and the face in the mm-hmm. ass. And, the and they're song, like, yeah. yep. Six, six productions. And they're like, you, you good with this? And I'm like, yes, because I was like on the zoom call and you say yes oh, yeah. to everything. Oh, no, yeah. And I'm just, yes, yes. What it was in zoom, it was Skype back then and uh, whatever. So I got the call. And so she says, you've got the part, you've booked it. And so this is again, the instinct thing, the gut, whatever. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I started crying and then I'm like, and then John comes home and I don't need, I think we were engaged at that time. And he's like, what's wrong? I was like, well, I got this part. It's a lead in a movie. He goes, why are you crying? It's a lead in a movie. I said, well, because I don't really want to go to, um, Holland and film this because like it's topless and then you're eating the bum and anyway so I I turned it down so so people are like oh what was his reaction <laughs> like you can't skip over that what he was actually was like he actually was like if you if you want to do this you can do it like That's he awesome. wasn't like he wasn't like x no you're not yeah, he's yeah. never been like that he's not possessive and he's not one of those guys he's always supportive if i think it's great he's like okay he trusts uh, you and your instincts to know that hey if this is the right thing then it's the yeah, right thing yeah yeah that's amazing and so some that's people really are like, amazing but, and then i never knew it was going to become so so then we were walking in the east village with a good friend of mine in new york and i saw this is like a couple years later on the marquee at this indie thing human i said no Oh my god and so my friend ellie he's like well we have to go see it so we went and we all saw it <laughs> together but I don't regret it. I mean, it did great. Good for them, but it just wasn't right for me at the time. And the manager was furious. She kept, needless to say, we went our separate ways, but she kept phoning. They want you to, I also just, and so so it's your point there. I I wasn't afraid of the content. I was more afraid of, and like you said, you don't seem afraid of anything, but I was afraid that I didn't know who these people were and Mm. it was in in the Netherlands and like I don't know like what if I went there and it was some crazy like porn set like I didn't know anything about it and that's one of the crazy and it was non-union oh yeah I mean that adds another level of or a layer of like uncertainty of what Mm. is and what what is it going to become right I mean as as an actor you know in the beginning I mean, still where I'm at, I mean, I guess I'm at the beginning. I have no control over the end product. You know, the only way I have control over the end product is if I produce it. And I've produced a few things. I've produced tons of short films. I have a feature film out there and I don't know how much control I had over the final (laughs) product. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so there's that side. And then as a, just a, a bit player, you know, someone coming in for a couple of days or a week or whatever it is, like your job is you're one of the last pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You've got to trust everyone else. You've got to trust all the other actors. You got to trust all of the, the uh, creative people, the producers, director, everyone that they have a vision that this is going to be something worthwhile. 
And yeah. I don't know the only way, perhaps the only way you could determine whether uh, it's worth it or not is based on reputation. And, yeah. you know, what's the reputation of the other actors, the other writers, the, the, the directors, you know, the producers and whatever. But other than that, like, you know, it's not like you're going to work for IBM or, or Apple, or I guess IBM, I don't know, does it exist anymore? Yeah. <laughs> I just <saved> myself <laughs> a lot there. Um, uh, yeah, Apple or, or whoever, yeah. like, where you, you know, you're going to get paid, you know, you're going right. to, you know, or some architectural firm where it's like, they're going to pay you a salary. This is going to be what it is. You're going to sit in a desk and you're going to draw. Done. Yeah. And you, and you're in control, but I think, you know, there, you can get control if you're the director, but, but I've listened to a lot of these podcasts where like uh, many of the actors are like, no, no, I don't want to pick the shirt and I don't want to be the director. I don't want that much control. I just want to focus on doing my work in my scene. But I think it's also about the experience you have, right? So sometimes you go in and you do your thing and you leave. And sometimes it's more meaningful or the connections you make. Like I just worked on a, a female driven show. I'm not saying that it couldn't have been men, but this was the experience on this show. Yeah, yeah. And it was why the last man and it was female director, cinema photographer. I mean, the experience was amazing. I had one day on that set, but we did a read through with the whole cast over zoom that I was invited to. We That's did cool. a rehearsal for just our scene with the director and the showrunner and talked about where our characters were coming from. I mean, the experience was like amazing. So mm. when do you get that? You don't usually get that doing a, a day player. You usually yeah. come in. And so I just was like, I want more of that. <laughs> that felt really good. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. There's something amazing when you get to be involved with a project. And I think this isn't just acting. I think this is any kind of project. Um, yeah. I, I would imagine, you know, architects go through the same thing where everyone is supportive and everyone is collaborative and everyone wants uh, everyone to win, you know, this, that, that yeah. the whole win-win concept and, and um, you know, that there's a, a level of, I don't know if nurturing is the right word, but yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Nurturing cultivation. I mean, that everybody's voice is meaningful. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't know, like one of the things that I love about the film industry so much is that you get on set and if it's a good set, you, you know, it immediately because everyone's doing what they're supposed to do and everyone knows right. what they're supposed to do, whether it's a grip, uh, you know, whether it's wardrobe, it doesn't matter which department, uh, crafty, it doesn't matter which department, everyone knows what their job is, how yes. to do it and where they're supposed to be. Right. And it's, it's like a, it's like a training like machine. It's yeah. a machine. But I think where, like the anxiety part for people can dissipate is when you realize that you're just a puzzle, a little tiny puzzle piece in this big machine that's moving and everyone is at the top of their game, just doing what they know how to do. And you don't worry about them and they're not yeah. worried about you. And I think there's a level of respect on the sets that are easy because everyone's so good at their job. Everyone respects everyone for doing their job and doing it yes. well. So you don't get into that, you know, like, oh, like camera department's lagging again, like, you right, know, right. <laughs> or, or yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's like yeah. everyone's doing their job and everyone respects everyone and everyone wants everyone to look amazing. Right. And 
that's I think that's the difference. That's the and thing. it is a magical experience when it is working correctly and oh, yeah. and and it's you know like clockwork. It's it's a, it's a nice feeling. Oh yeah, because it's and it, it's buzzing and it's busy, but it's all you're all there for a, a collective goal. Yeah, I imagine when you figured out, I mean, it's got to be the same thing when you figured out the te right technique on blowing the ocean and getting the ocean on your on your resin. There had to have been a similar feeling, except it was just a smaller scale where it's just you and the materials and the, and the tools where all of a sudden everything is just clicking and it just works. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's absolutely the same thing. And I even got scared when I did a larger scale resin project. I did a, a table, I did a, a coffee table and I poured two double waves and it was the biggest you know, poor, I was like, I kept waiting. I'm like, okay, I kept pushing it off. And then, you know, I did it one day and I, and it was such a great feeling. Like you yeah. do, I did get the same sort of endorphins that you get when you go to set and things click in. Cause, because it turned out great. Obviously it would have been a real buzzkill if it looked shitty, but it looked really great. So I was like, okay, I conquered the fear and I have this beautiful table. So, but you also worked up to it. I mean, it's not like you just said, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to do a table like you No, and I, preparation seen, is key. Yeah. I mean, you, Same you thing had with acting. so many little things. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that's, I mean, one of the things that I don't know. I don't know if it's I'm getting older or if maybe I've just always been this way. But like, you know, when I think of uh, the concept of of the singularity in physics or in in spiritual uh, spirituality, you know, the oneness or whatever, it's like everything's everything's connected. Everything's just yeah. the same, and it's just yeah. all different expressions of the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's. That's the way I look at it. And maybe, maybe I've always seen it that way. I don't know. Um, it is all, it is all the same. And, and if you, cause we're all, we all get caught up in our microcosms, right? Yeah. What, whatever it may be at that moment. Like I can look through my trajectory of my life and be like, at that moment I was here and those people in my world were so important. Yeah. But if you like stand up here at whatever 500,000 degree, I don't know what you want to call it. And you're looked down. Yep. We're all just like ants, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, like John yeah. and I were talking about this the other day. We're just these like beings that are going through this life. And, and when you kind of like, think of it like that, like, I think when you're younger or maybe not everybody, but for me, everything was do or die. It was oh, yeah. so precious. So dramatic. Right? Oh, so yeah. dramatic. And and now I'm like, oh, this is all good. Let's just, you know, do our job and have a good time and be smart oh, yeah. about things. And I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to uh, performing as well is there was a, uh, it was okay to be dramatic. It was okay to have emotions. It was okay uh, to be angry. It was okay yeah. to be happy. It, you know, it was just the place where everything was okay because you're, you're, you're human and your job is to be a, a, a fully fledged, you know, three-dimensional human on stage or, or in front of yeah. the camera. And I felt like it was the only place where um, it was okay to be fully me or you know fully a human that that was what it was for me that was the big draw and then the second big draw for me was i love the everyone knows what to do and the and uh, like the synchronicity of it all like yeah. you know it was just it was magic it still is yeah it is magic and that's interesting about the being you like i'm trying to think if that was it for me and i 
I, I don't know, because I think that I was always a bit weird. <laughs> so I was weird in my regular life, but is anyone not weird though? Seriously? <laughs> well, I know. So what is weird? I mean, we could go down that path, right? Yeah. Like what is normal? What is sane? What are we all, what, we're all insane. What's the line of sanity? I know. Um, and again, I guess that was a label. I mean, one of the things that I'm not sure you know this story, but um, so John and I met through Sam, Sam's oh, okay. husband. Yeah, yeah. So Sam's husband said that John and I both had the same weird sense of humor and he thought that we would get along. And so we met because of them. Wow. And I look back at that and I'm like, cause I would never, I mean, I, you know, John was like the people that he knew, he's like, I never thought I would meet my wife or that I would meet you, but he saw, some, he was right. He yeah. did see something. God, that's amazing. And, and we're so different. Like we think very differently. Like he gets to A to B completely differently than how mm -hmm. I would go from A to B. Um, like uh, I'm more abstract thinker. He's very much more linear, but he's still very artsy. Um, so I think it's complicated also with relationships on how you connect. So that sense of humor piece that is a little wonky, <laughs> weird or whatever you want to call it does connect. Yeah. Uh, but the sense of humor is so important though. It is Ash, important. Ash, Ash and I, we probably spend more time laughing together. It, it, we're either just calm and in silence or we're laughing. <laughs> like that's probably what we spend the most time doing. Um, either that, or I'm doing my thing and she's doing her thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But the sense of humor, man, that's like, I mean, for me, maybe not everyone, but for me, I feel like if you can't laugh with someone, no. then what's the point of being around there's, them? There's no point. Yeah. So, you know, to bring it full circle, my daughter last night, who was talking about the boys that she found cute mm -hmm. or whatever, she brought up this one boy and she said, well, he's, he's, he's okay. He's cute, but you know, he's really funny. And I go, good. That is the most important. You yeah. want to be able to laugh with somebody. Yeah. And and because she has a great sense of humor and she's acting now too. And nice. um, she's always, like she says, she wants to be a comedian. She's always doing good. And her friends are all goofy. And so that's, she wants that, right? So it's so important. I think, you know, there's so many pieces of the puzzle with any relationship. It's, it's sense of humor. It's intellect. It's, I mean, it's so complicated and people yeah. change and you have to grow together. It's funny, my father growing up, he was always uh, Mr. Jokey Jokester. Um, but the problem was, for me was that I was always the butt of the joke. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, no. Or, or, or my sister or my mom. But like, you know, it was not a good place to be in. And I loved, yeah. uh, I loved doing comedy. Like, um, you know, prior to coming out to LA when I was doing theater here, there and wherever, like comedy was my favorite, Neil Simon. Where did you, know, you do theater? Uh, I mean, regional stuff, you know, local stuff, um, nothing, nothing you would know, like no notable. No, uh, where's home again? Oh, Northern Virginia, DC. Oh, so you did it there. Yeah. But I didn't like, I I wanted to do TV and film so much that I felt like the arena stage and um, I'm blanking on some of the other big theaters there were 
too big of a distraction because it was like a whole nother world and a business. So Mm -hmm. I never went for anything big on the theater side. And that's probably my, if if I'm going to regret anything, that would be what I would regret because to me, I missed, I missed an entire opportunity that I never really explored because I thought it was going to be a distraction from doing TV and film. And the reason why TV and film was more attractive to me is because I felt like, um, obviously it's a much bigger audience and who doesn't want to have the biggest audience possible as an actor. (laughs) It's like, okay, I need more people. Um, and then the other thing is, is there's an element of, like it's it's more of a um analog for life you know film and tv because you've got so many different departments and so many different elements and everyone has to work together and i feel like that is more i don't know real and i think i was looking for as much as i loved performing and i loved the process of the rehearsal for theater especially the rehearsal process for theater is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that detective thing, you know, it's like you're really digging in. Yeah. Um, it was, it didn't have as many moving parts and it wasn't as um, fully formed in my mind is what I think I'm trying to remember it, you know, 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as real. It was like this imaginary place. Like, yeah, you have backstage theater, you have sets and so forth, but it's all just kind of more imaginary. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I wanted to live in my imagination and I wanted to play, but I felt like film and TV somehow was more real. Yeah. It was more, I don't know human there was more bigger machine i don't know i I don't know if it makes sense but but i think the the point about living in your imagination is a big big part of it right you want to play for a living and you want to and i've never wanted to escape who i am but i want to go into these other worlds and be these other people and i think that i think it also just comes from being interested in how I was always interested in psychology and the abnormal mm-hmm. psychology and how the brain works. Oh yeah. And I My think favorite characters from... are the most twisted, <laughs> screwed up people. <laughs> same, same. And um, so I read some books about twisted people and, um, and I had this abnormal psych book that I, from university that I had mm-hmm. highlighted all this stuff. And I think it comes from just being fascinated with the way the brain works and how oh, yeah. even today we use so little of it. And, um, but when you talked about the theater stuff, like, because I went to theater school, I I was a tough program. And when I left, I was like, I don't want to do theater ever again. And so I took a break from theater. And that's when I started. Liberal arts. I went Virginia tech. I I know it's a technical school, but they haven't have an amazing theater program, but it's a, but it's a, uh, it's not an MFA or a BFA. So it wasn't, like you had to, you had to do co- your time in the costume department. You had to do do your time in set uh, set design. Oh, okay. Um, so you weren't hyper focused. And I went there for two reasons. One, they had a great theater. It was an award winning theater program when I went there in the in the mid nineties. And then all the buildings looked like castles, and I wanted to live in a castle. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hilarious reason that you chose. <laughs> so yeah, mine did not. You know what ours was? So mine was a conservatory and the building that our theater program was in 
was the old pharmacy building. And so there was a, a morgue in the basement. Oh, fun. Well, that's where the, um, the costume people were. Yeah, we were of on course. the third floor, but there was like all these silver fish on the ground. Oh, and we would be doing like breathing exercise. It was gross, yeah. but uh, it, it was, just, it was a tough program. And, and there was a lot of psychological ramifications for people. I think yeah. as many, we've heard about this with other theater schools as well. Oh yeah. But you know, it took me a while. And then I did do theater in New York and I, did I do any in Toronto before I left? I don't think I did. Um, I did some, some indie theater in New York. And then I did, uh, uh, oh, this actually feeds into what you were saying about being fearless. I did a one woman show that I wrote, um, that got into the New York That's... fringe and it was at the Cherry Lane theater. In the you got West into Village. the New York fringe. So yeah. I, I just casually did a one woman show. I got into the New York fringe, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's one other thing that I did. <laughs> I actually forgot until we started talking about theater. <laughs> and I remember when I did it, everyone was like, she's doing a one woman show. That's so scary. And was it a more that, of a comedic? It or? was, it was called doppelganger Joe. And it was about a girl who finds her doppelganger, but she's from the UK. And then, you know, the, the myth is that if you meet your doppelganger, you die, but it was a comedy version. And I played both of the roles and then she feeds her this glass of bleach and she dies and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> So I remember it was like a great run. It was in Cherry Lane. I got all the reviews. And then I, and then um, a friend of mine was like, you did great. You got mixed reviews for your first one woman show. And I'm like, but that one review. And I remember I was so dramatic about it. We lived in a five floor walk up and this one review, I didn't like it. And I felt attacked and I went down the five flight stairs. I don't even know if I had shoes on and I ran into the New York night. And I just started walking I was just like oh wow I came back John's like that was a bit no he was very supportive but it was <laughs> you know it was like the big leagues it was like all the New York people writing yeah. about it and 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 because I had written it too there's it's all me if you want to tear this place it's all me so if you don't like the writing yeah so so now I look back and and that actually was very fearless but yep. I wrote it not expecting to get in and was surprised that I got in. And then there was all kinds of stuff happening when I was rehearsing, like we got deported. Not really, but we did technically, we're told to leave the United States of oh, wow. America. Yeah, so we had to fly out the next morning. I had come back from Central Park with all these crates. I was rehearsing for the one woman show and I buzzed uh, John in the five floor walk up. And I said, can you help me? I have all this stuff from rehearsal. And he just goes, I, have I not told you this story? He comes through the buzzer and he goes, I've been advised to leave the country. And I was like, what? And he's like, you've been advised to as well. It's <laughs> so like, what a weird thing to come to home these, to. I know. So I get these crates up the stairs. I'm like, what are you talking about? Long story, but our lawyer had missed a page on the request for more information. And uh, that was one of the days that I'll never forget core memory, adrenaline, like brutal. So, I mean, that, that's a good place to stick for a half a second. And, and, and we're way over. So if you need to yeah. go soon, um, let me know. But yeah, um, that's a, that's a, man, that's a huge thing. You're living <laughs> in the country for a couple of years at the, that point. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was 2008. So you've been there so for we, we three, moved there three years, like two and a half, two and a half. You're settled. You're like, we're home. We love this place. We're making yeah. money. We're good. And yeah. then you come home from rehearsing and and John's like, uh, 
time to go. <laughs> the mm-hmm. government's kicking us out. Mm-hmm. What's your, where did your mind go first? And, and how did you deal with the anxiety and the stress? My mind went to confusion. Yeah. And then I pulled up the emails and the documents. And then I saw that there was this scanned page that she had never told us to get these certain things. And then I, I got angry. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably. And For so, at least a minute. <laughs> so I called her and she said, no, you, the longer you stay, the worse it's going to be like, you guys have to leave tomorrow. So we just scrambled and booked flights and we were back in Toronto the next day. And then it gets worse because we were trying to fly back in. And so this is a while ago. It was my 30th birthday and they wouldn't let John fly. They, it was like out of a movie. They're like, they sent us a secondary. And because I was on an O one and his so was on. You had your tickets. Work. You're at the air, you're at the airport and they, they're not going to let him board the plane. That's right. So we're at the airport. Now we're trying to go back into the U S because we'd already come for three or four days. And then our lawyer advised us that we could come back and we get there and they ship us into secondary. We're sitting there asking us all these questions. And uh, he had a new job, but the visa was still processing. And I was on an 01. And so they said that he's my dependent on my 01. And he can't come in until he squares out all this stuff. And there was people on the phone, Laura, like all these people calling and saying it's good, like doing all this stuff. They were, were no. Were, were you married at that point? Uh, yes, we got married in 2007. Okay, okay, okay. So, so that he was make, my husband. Yeah, and he, they so that still would make wouldn't... him the dependent. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Damn, but that's, well, the 01, I don't know much about the visas. I, I, <laughs> I, I've known a few people. I guess I've known quite a few people actually now that I think about it, but I've never really talked about it with that many people. Um, but the O one is is the extraordinary abilities, you know, for acting, music, musicians, and other yes. um, kind of special areas. Does that not have a provision for? Um, is that just because he was working here, or because it should have a provision for your spouse? Well, it does, but he wasn't on my visa. He was on his own visa. Oh, so it just wasn't set and, up. I see. And what happened is he was uh, had a pending green card that was processing, and that's what the lawyer messed up on. So uh, then that was why we had to leave. And then they're like, but now what are you want? It's like this influx thing, even though they were processing a new, but it was like the timing of it was that right now you're kind of nothing to us. Right. So you're her dependent, but we're not going to let you in. And so John was like they're not bending you need to just fly because we've paid for the tickets and you've got a life i mean and you have a life and i'll get back when i can't he came back like two days later it was like pretty Uh, quick it was squared away but in that moment i literally felt like i was in a movie like he leaves and i go through security and i just start crying i'm like like a movie Right. Really, I'm like, my really husband can't write come. It and-, and it's my birthday. I know. So then I, I get back to New York and I call up my two friends and they live right down the street from me. And I'm like, anyway, we went to our favorite local Mexican restaurant, sat on the patio and had some margaritas and it was all good. And then John came back a couple of days later. That's amazing. That, I mean, that's definitely, if you haven't done it already, that's definitely something to think about in terms of writing into a script because- True it would make, you know, depending on how you do it, you know, if you want to expand it um, and, and really dig in, I mean, it could be a little TV series, you know, yeah. of, of uh, 
you know, because he, you know, as a broadcaster, he's had an interesting life and I'm sure you guys have had millions of other interesting things happen in New York. Yeah. But like a Canadian couple moves to New York and gets kicked out and has a life and, you know, has family, friends, you know, whatever. I could see that being yeah. a, a show. I could see that being an interesting, fun show. Yeah. A hundred percent. We, we sort of talked about it before and I don't know why I never really fleshed it out, but you raise a really good point. I mean, maybe even now close to it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, but even now, like with, uh, Callie sort of wanting to be in the world now, there's like stuff there too. I don't know. Do you have any reservations about letting her, I mean, because you still have control at this point in time, she's, you know, I do. Enough. I, 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 <laughs> I'd like her to do something else. But, you know, when she asked me a few years ago that she wanted to try it, I couldn't say no, try yeah. it. And it was actually really good for her confidence, just going into the audition rooms and meeting people. And she worked Absolutely. on some, some projects, a commercial and a TV show. And so, you know, but as she's getting older, I don't want it to feel like work and she has to want to do it because mm. you know how tough this business is. And so I, sometimes if she gets like, six pages I'm like do you do you really want to do this do you really want to do this yeah. and she keep oh yes but sometimes she'll grumble but then she goes off and she learns them dead cold and she's good so I'm kind of like well she did go and learn them and it's not like I nagged her to do it I I, I keep being like you don't have to do this <laughs> you don't want to you don't have to you could just do your guitar or your coding or whatever but at this point she wants to and yeah. she's interested in it and she's good so we'll just let her continue it until she doesn't want to or she does yeah but yeah I mean, I mean it's it just sometimes it feels like why am I living this hell over again with another generation <laughs> yeah I can I get that I mean I don't know if Ashley and I will have kids um I mean we've talked about it and we definitely kind of are on the I you know idea that we're going to have at least one kid but you know you don't actually have control over that stuff. I mean, she's, I don't know if she wants me to tell her age. So <laughs> she's of that age where you have to start, you know, considering, you know, once you're over 32, I think you have to start yeah. considering, is this possible? I, they mm -hmm. call it a geriatric birth or something, I think after 32 or 33 or something anyways. Um, so who knows what will, will happen, but I don't know if I would stop them from being in the industry, from in, in the entertainment industry, but I also no. don't know that I would introduce it as an option. Yeah. You know, and if they I didn't, it, yeah. Yeah. She literally said to me one day we were driving and she goes, I want to try acting. And it had actually started from my younger child who asked for it first. Mm. And then she did a full 180 and said, nope. I don't want anybody looking at me. I don't like that. Don't want to do it. And this was a wow. few years ago and she yeah. stuck to that. She wants to be a fashion designer and a, a singer cool. songwriter. And, and it is cool. And she's been sketching since she was really little. Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if they want to do it, you have to let them do it. It's like okay. anything. This is not to get too esoteric or anything um, because I do get esoteric in some of these conversations, but I'm just kind of <laughs> curious uh fate or free will or both or some, <laughs> or some variation of both because the reason why i'm asking is because you've had some very interesting serendipitous moments where shit just worked um against all odds and now 
you know, talking about your kids and their interest in acting, it's like, I had a thought, I was like, well, she could be, you know, a big movie star and we don't know it because, you know, she hasn't gone through her pacing yet, which then would be, yeah. you know, well, Yeah, I don't know which is right, but I will say this. Uh, she's growing up in a family where it feels normal. It doesn't yeah. feel weird. So John was always on TV. Yeah. We have pictures of her, like as a baby, we'll look, oh, it's daddy on the TV. Like being on TV is not weird for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even did like a robot segment with him when she was like seven and went on his yeah. business show. That's and cool. um, like, like they do the Santa Claus parade here. And for them, um, oh, my battery, I thought it was plugged in. Sorry. For them, it's just for her. Sorry. Quinn just still does feel weird being on TV. But for Kelly, mm-hmm. because she's older, and it's always been around her. Like I've always been auditioning or doing a show or John's on show. She's like, okay, this is normal for me. It wasn't, my mom was an interior designer and my dad was a, a you know, a sales guy at Canon and then went into right. corporate communications. And I remember when he went into corporate communications because he had a great personality, they used him as the face and he had to do all the TV interviews, but I mean, he was very nervous and yeah. he would go through the media training, but it, it wasn't natural for him to go on TV and talk. Whereas Callie can, she already has that skill. Mm-hmm. Like she can already do it and not feel strange about it. And because she worked on that one project years ago and it was a big TV show, she went and all the cameras were and she did the commercial. And uh, to be honest with you, I was blown away. She got this Boston pizza commercial and she just had to talk and talk and we get to the set. This was her first like big thing. And the director's like, and she was booked because she was in the audition room, like three or four callbacks, like yeah. talking, being all animated. And the director's like, Hi. she's like, she's like a mute. And I'm like, okay, this could go sideways fast. Oh yeah. I had no idea what to expect, but I was okay with it. I yeah. mean, she's my daughter and I'm going to support her yeah. and no matter been, what. Yeah. You've been if through it. it so work, you're not going to freak out on her and no, like, if it doesn't work. You? Yeah. No, I'm not going to be a stage mom. And yeah. if it doesn't work, I'm going to go, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want from me. She's not talking. So you're going to have to get it out or you're the director. She's Anyways. an autonomous human being. <laughs> like, That's oh, right. figure. you handle her. But <laughs> weirdly, when the cameras started rolling and all these extras are walking by and she's talking to the dad, it was like, like a yeah. light, switch. light switch. And she's yeah. like saying all these big words and they were all like, and I'm like, okay, there she go. There she is. And I felt like in that moment, you are a performer. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think, I don't know. I always come back last night. I was actually playing with um, something I was writing and I, I always come back to Shakespeare's words, all the, all the world's a stage, all the men and women are merely players. It's one of my and, favorite. Oh, it's such an amazing monologue. And to me, those words are truth. Like, mm-hmm. I thought my, my parents were entrepreneurs and educators, you know, um, my, my dad left education before I was born and my mom left education when I was really young, but I was still old enough to know that she was, you know, in the education world, you know, teaching and, and whatnot. Um, but they were entrepreneurs and, and business people, um, you know, most of my childhood really. And, um, my dad is very much you know, likes to be the center of attention. And so I don't, 
like I looked at their, I, I wouldn't even, I didn't understand their business e- either. So to me, like, it just all seemed like performative, you know, everything just seemed like some big um, play that was going on. And I look around, I, I still to this day, you know, as an adult, I look around at the world and I'm thinking like, what the hell is everyone doing? <laughs> like, where are they going? Like, it's what all is- a play. It's all a show. <laughs> it is. It's all an act. And that's why that is one of the most profound. I mean, it really is all the world's a stage. Yeah. Like, because, you know, and we can get down that whole rabbit hole or whatever, but my, for some reason I plug this in and it's not charging, but anyways, you know, well, that we're all, that we're all wearing masks it's, and, it's not a and bad you do, place. you, everyone wears masks, but you don't always yeah. mean to, it's just who you are and you change with different people and what yeah. you're doing. Well, there's certain, I don't even know, like the, the way I look at it now, um, I don't even look at it as masks anymore. Uh, it's more of just different sides of myself, different, you know, so different things are going to shine through and like a mask to me, like still has a connotation. It's like, okay, I am now this Mm. person, Mm -hmm. but I think that the truth is, is there really is much more of a, um, a slide or a, a rheostat, you know, a spectrum. And I think I don't think mask is the right terminology. No, I don't either. I think you know, right. I, I think because like more of my humor is going to come out with some people more, you know, more of my technical, you know, excuse me, serious mathematical mind is going to come out with other people. Right. And yeah. it's not that like, I don't have the humor there. It's just not going to be as strong. So yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, those, uh, this, maybe this is a good analogy. You know, those big um, mixing boards you see it like when, you know, Dr. Dre is is doing yeah. an album, or whatever. And there's like a million yeah. buttons. Like, yeah. I think that's the human personality. Yes. It, it's a million different buttons and you slide this up, you bring this down, let's bring them all up and they're going to just freak out and <laughs> melt down for a minute. And then we're going to bring all the levels down and just bring the sad up or, you know, the, you know what I mean? Like a thousand percent. And that's, yeah. and that's us only using whatever uh, percentage of our brain that it is we use. Right. And, yeah. and, and that is so multifaceted. And I think that's why, you know, I think the older we get, the more, maybe some people access it when they're younger, but for me, the more I feel comfortable showing more of those buttons at one certain time. And it's unfortunate sometimes that people, you know, always use one button and like, but there's way more to you. And I think also just in this social media world and, and how people are growing up and I wonder about my girls and, and all of that, we need to, still tap into all the parts of ourselves well there's been several landmark um kind of psychological um this might be a too long of a rabbit hole to go down but i'm just gonna check my plug yeah um well <laughs> sorry now okay no, now it's fine working. um there's a there's a book out called symphony of selves um i'm actually did it work i don't know what's going on just wait one sec i plugged it in but it's 
I heard I heard the plug go. I know, but then it didn't. It's really weird. Oh, now it's actually staying. Okay. All right. Good. Um, there has been a big movement uh, of late in psychological circles for like uh, Symphony of Selves is one book. Uh, IFS, uh, Integrated or Internal Family Systems is another mm -hmm. system um, that are basically saying, and I've, I've also heard there's, there's a bunch of other books, lesser known, that talk about how we have multiple selves and there's a multiplicity of, um, of us and, and we are not just one thing. And it makes sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, we now know Ayurvedic medicine has been saying for thousands and thousands of years that, you know, the gut, it has a lot to do with our choices, yes. our happiness and everything else. And we now know that that's a fact, like yeah. that's an absolute science. The brain fact. gut connection, hundred yeah. percent. So yeah. it, it's fascinating, like how many different things, you know, which goes back to all the world's a stage, you know, if if we're here playing a character and, you know, and we're not really truly dialed in to all of our parts and all of our things, then we're going to have aspects come out, um, that are, that are triggered or, or puppeted by forces that we don't see. And we don't like have access to because we're not paying attention. And like, that's like, I think the biggest you know, and then tying that into, you know, fear and dealing with fear and making choices and, you know, building your instincts um, and make, being able to make better decisions. It's yeah. like, if we are compressed down to just one vision of ourselves that's on Instagram or something like that, um, or, you know, based on the label of, you know, oh, well, you're a white man, therefore, you know, you think like this, this, and this then it doesn't allow for all of the other spectrums, all of the other colors that go with me or with you or with anybody. Yeah. And if you don't know them personally, how do you play those as a character or how do you learn to connect with other people? Right. But at large, you also have to layer with what you're saying because people are only seeing the tip of the iceberg, right? To yeah. the point where you learn some things about my youth and my history today. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing where that person grew up, how they grew up, mm -hmm. what made them who they are, what their external, you know, sensory stuff that they had to deal with right. was. So all of that changes this white man from this white man yeah. and we're and 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 people i mean obviously easier said than done book by its cover don't judge a book by oh, its cover but you know i wrote down symphony of selves i'll check that out it sounds fascinating yeah it's really interesting uh i'm actually going to be um talking to one of the authors it's uh james fadiman and jordan gruber i hope i'm saying his name right i don't have it in front of me um but I'm going to be speaking with Jordan uh, later on another episode. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as, you know, all the world's a stage and all the men and women, I think along that lines, you know, part of the, the most amazing thing that acting can do for, you know, for anyone, because I've seen so many people come out here and realize, oh, wow, this is not for me, but they still gain such a, 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 
a great asset from pursuing it for a while and taking classes for a while yeah. because they learned who they were. They learned more about themselves. They learned how to listen to um, themselves in a way that all of a sudden they were not being as impulsive um, because they now understood themselves better. So they were able to make better decisions. And Standard, to- yeah. And I think it also teaches you uh, how to listen better. Mm-hmm and concentrate on the other person but just what you were saying with all of that it also made me think about not caring about what anyone thinks which is very complicated because everyone always cares but to get to a certain point where you care less (laughs) a lot less is really enlightening and helpful to your well-being so this is this is it's so interesting because I, I'm, I'm adamant that it absolutely does matter what other people think. Yeah. But, but you got to take, you got to understand who the people are to be able to take that information and do something with it because mm-hmm. what other people think is really valuable information. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of who they are and regardless, you know, they could be the most misogynistic, racist, homophobic, you know, what, what you and I would dub a horrible person. Um, but it's still valid input, like how you're coming off and what you're getting. And so it's really about data, data management in my mind than anything else. And so, you know, because, and this is also come, I, I have, this is my personal belief. I personally believe I'm here, we're here, whatever, to learn. And this is really an educational process and an opportunity for us as energetic beings or as consciousness. Uh, I think this is just one incarnation of our consciousness. So this is gets into weird, my personal No, no, actually- it's really funny that you bring this up because I don't know if this is where you're going to continue with this, but the other day, John said something very similar Mm. that we are here to learn Yep. and to pass along information. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense. And so if we're going to do that optimally, if we think about this and trying to be, you know, be perfectionist that we are, and, and we're going to try to do, do that in the best possible way, then we need to learn how to learn better always. And we need to constantly be learning how to learn new things. And we need to be able to take in as much data as possible because the more data you're able to take in, the more, if you are correctly, you know, parsing that data, then you're going to have more, metrics to measure Mm -hmm. your growth and your expansion and be able to then more effectively, you know, give it back and and pass it on. And I actually always say, and this is something that my dad said as well. And that I always say to my kids, knowledge is power. The more knowledge we can gather, the more power we get. And to your point, it doesn't matter where it comes from. And, you know, also getting feedback, constructive criticism, all of these things are good things, but yes, taking in all the knowledge we can, I don't get why people don't like, for instance, this is a small sampling, but my daughter's going into grade seven and all of the alternative schools and the other schools have zoom meetings to talk about what their school's about. I went to every single zoom meeting because 
why wouldn't I? Yeah, I just want to know. Can, Knowledge yeah. is power. Yeah. It was after dinner. I would go and I would get a feeling for it because then, and she went so she can see where she wants to go because yep. otherwise, how do you, how do you know? GI Joe knowing you're, you're, throwing, the battle. <laughs> you're closing your eyes, spinning around in circles and then throwing a dart and hoping it hits where you want to go. Right. Uh, if you, you know, and that goes into the, the research, the research bu bucket too. Yeah. Right. Knowledge research. However, it doesn't, doctors don't look kindly on me when I do Google research and then I go to a doctor's appointment. Yeah. I try not to bring it up anymore. My, my father had some basic medical training because he was in the Peace Corps. He did, uh, he, and he worked as a phlebotomist. Um, oh. And, uh, big fancy word for taking blood <laughs> um, and, and an x-ray tech. So that was how he paid his way through. Oh, you school. said, wait, what did you say? I thought you said lobotomist. <laughs> Phlebotomist. Oh, I was thinking of a lobotomy. Yeah. That's your reaction was like, either she doesn't know the word or I, <laughs> it, it didn't come out right. My, that's really funny. Yeah. Okay. I thought, uh, I thought he was doing, I thought you were like no. lobotomist. I'm like, maybe that's a word for people that do lobotomies. Wow. No. <laughs> he definitely didn't do that. Um, he, he took blood and, and gave, gave, uh, shots and, um, and x-rays and he, and then he was in the, the Peace Corps. So he had, and he also wanted to be a doctor, but he didn't get into Stanford. I think he applied to like one or two medical mm. schools, like the best medical schools. He didn't get in. He's like, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that was his, that was his thinking. Yeah. Um, and so anytime I went to the doctors, my dad would either question or, or, or try to correct because like he knew because he had experience, but he, you know, he studied and had enough knowledge right. to annoy the doctor, <laughs> right? which was always fun. <laughs> I'll just, I'll tell you what it is. I can be a self-diagnosed slight hypochondriac and my brain goes to the darkest place before yeah. I can bring it back to the rational zone. Sure. And you, I, you, you want to explore all the options. I need to go to the darkest. Yes. Dark, yeah. then rational, then I'm okay. But what I don't like about the doctor process is like, I, they talk to you like you don't know anything and they start mm -hmm. at level one and I'm like, God, I've already been, I'm at like, I'm way past this. And so you I understand I've spent three hours getting to level five. Let's right. Just... I'm at level six. Like, I don't want to go through you know, it's exhausting for me going through these really basic things until she gets to where I already came in the door at, right. because I did all the, the, and not that I'm always right. I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm saying? If you it's were just, always right, you'd, you'd probably be a research scientist. <laughs> so <That's right. laughs> you would have a, you would have one more job to add onto your resume. That's right. Another thing to my crazy list of growing things. Um, yeah. It's, it's a funny thing, you know, it's a funny thing, you know, this whole thing called life and, you know, my take on it ultimately, and this is the reason why I'm doing the show is that I don't know if people know how, or even are finding there's so much content. There's so many, you know, so much crap out there. Um, critical thinking is essential. 
And the people who want critical thinking and want to dive in and want more information, I don't know if they're easily finding it. And, um, and so my hope is, is that like this type of show, you know, it had, you know, had I listened to this 20 years ago, might've made it a little bit easier for me to understand and let go some of some of my, um, dogma around my vision. And Mm -hmm. it's like, because each step of the way I was as an actor, it was like, well, okay, I now understand to get a big movie, you've got to be either related to someone or (laughs) you, you had to have been around for a long time. You have to have this agent. um, You have to have these credits. And it's like, all right, well, I'm hoping for that still, but what would, what would it take to get on, you know, TV or whatever? And so all of a sudden it went from, this is the vision that I have for myself to, well, what's possible? (laughs) Because I don't know, maybe I'm just completely delusional what's possible. And I think had, you know, I had someone, a mentor or someone to like, you know, walk me through options or walk me through, this is what other people did. Like, because I've spent so much time on IMDb. I've spent (laughs) so much time researching people and trying to figure out how they did it and what they did. You're trying to crack the code. I'm trying to crack the code. (laughs) And, um, and I don't, I don't think I spent enough time just like letting go and just, you know, throwing myself at stuff. Yeah. Um, because well, I've got the look, I've spent years studying. Everyone tells me I'm great. Uh, Casting directors will bring me back again and again and again, yet it's still not working. And like each time I would figure out one more thing of, okay, well now why it's not working. So I ended up on a roller coaster of trying to find all the ways things don't work instead right. of all of the things that, that do, do work. Right. And but I think no one pointed so that much, out to me. <laughs> I was like, right, that you're focusing on the negative things yeah. that don't work. Well, I mean, we've all been there, right? I think every actor can say they've spent time on IMDb wondering why someone got the role and they didn't. But, um, you know, so I focusing think- on what works is such a, a, a much better strategy. It really is focusing on what works and what's positive rather than focusing on the negative and try that. Well, okay. It didn't work for me. What else did someone do? Let me try that. Right. But so at least you're iterating, right? Because sometimes I think the definite is the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again. So, Mm -hmm. so if you're iterating and learning new things, you're not doing the same thing over and over again. But sometimes I'm like, oh, because I, I, I've been out the door. I've been like, you know, two feet out the door, one foot out the door with this business several times. And I always Mm -hmm. come back to it because I love it. And then Mm -hmm. I get a job and I work and I think, nope, I don't want to leave. And, you know, the vicious cycle. It's magic. It's like, oh my God, (laughs) this is the greatest thing I'll ever But if I could do this every day, if I booked the the lead in the show, then, you know, why would I walk away now as I'm getting closer? So, and again, it goes to the, um, you know, Scragos don't quit. And, everyone has their journey and there's so many things you don't understand or don't know. And half of it is that luck factor or the railroad tracks. So you meet at the railroad tracks and you need to be ready. Mm -hmm. So if you're lucky railroad tracks, like mine for that hosting gig met up and I was ready for it. 
Yeah. I'm now perfect. ready yeah. for the the show. Like I, I probably wasn't ready even five years ago. Maybe I would have learned along the way and got through it. But right now I'm like, good to go. So I think that all of these things need to be landing in the right spot when the right thing comes along because yeah. it could be the wrong thing too. But and that then also that, kinda... that wrecks people's career too. Oh yeah. But I mean, that also kind of goes back to the, you know, fate of free will, because, you know, if we're here to learn, then it would, it also would make sense that there's, so there's a, a word that I learned, um, we're, we're starting to get on the long side. So we'll, yeah, we I know probably, I'm going to have to, yeah, yeah. Wrap it sooner than later. My but, other appointment got pushed, but my kids will be home soon. So I have to go. Okay. But yeah, so I'll, I'll, well, I'll say this word. And, and we'll talk about it for two seconds and then we'll, we'll try to wrap up at that point. So my new word, I was looking for an equation that basically has infinite possibilities, but the same outcome, no matter what. And, um, the only word that came back to define that was item potent. So I D E M P O T E N T. So item, um, Oh, now I'm forgetting the Latin for what it means. Wait, how do you spell it? Uh, not I, omnipotent, idempotent. No, idem, I-D-E-M, potent, P-O-T-E. <laughs> now I can't spell. N-T, yeah. Yeah. So potent meaning plenty or numerous and item uh, meaning uh, a specific, um, I th- think that's the origin. My brain is just fritzing out, but... Um, essentially, uh, like an on-off switch uh, yeah. is is item potent. Be, um, so, like a binary. So, computer programming. So, it was invented. The word came into existence in the 1800s, but nowadays it's only used by programmers because a lot of programming has to be item potent because you have to be able to, no matter what the person does, get them to the same place at the end. You know. So for instance, I, life is item potent. You're born, no matter what you do, you die. That's yeah. item potent. So like to some extent, like you get on a plane, it's headed to New York, take out the, you know, the, the variables, you can jump up and down, you can fall in love, you can have a heart attack, you can give birth, all, a whole life can take place from from LA to New York in that plane and that what six hour plane ride or whatever it is but you're still going to end up in New York at the end of the trip if you started in LA Mm -hmm. and so that's item potent and you know to some extent this is like I didn't think this conversation would ever get here (laughs) but to some extent it kind of sums up a lot of what we're talking about you know from you know your daughters and your art it's like our our self-expression our need for self-expression our need um you know for perfection it's like it doesn't matter how we do it it's just because it's going to have the same outcome We're, we're no one's getting out of this alive not to be dark and morbid no but it's true it's true and it's like so what can we do to enjoy it to the most and get right. the most out of it and squeeze Oh, I think there's a quote there somewhere from someone, you know, squeeze the, the marrow out of the, or the juice out of the lemon yeah. or something and get every single drop. And I feel right. like that's kind of, well, 
but that's why so but if you think like that then you'll be less fearful because mm -hmm. you're gonna die anyway yeah. and and um oh now i lost the other thing i was gonna say and it was really good <laughs> it'll come back I, I mean there's there's like focusing on i wouldn't oh be oh i know what i was gonna say yeah and thinking like that should dissipate some of the fear yeah right? I, I mean i wouldn't yeah i mean what i was gonna say kind of fits that because i focused on the negative of like let me find one more way i can't be a successful working actor or like i'm gonna try to gain weight i'm gonna try you know <laughs> to shave my head and let's see if anyone wants to bring me in now <laughs> no um I, you know i i overanalyze or perfectly analyze things which has led me to creating this show this you know this this thing and you just need to get out of your head and get out of your own way yeah. and think positively yeah and just have fun with it because i'm kind of done i'm kind of over <laughs> i'm like over it all like yeah it was, it was fun to figure shit out like i've figured out yeah. i have enough i mean I've, I've done so many jobs as you have and it's like i'm done like i'm ready to yeah. just do one thing now like yeah and yeah. I, I'll talk to people about all the other things, but I just kind of want to do one thing. I want to do. Yeah. You know. And I think that's good. I think focusing is key. Like for me, I used to do too many things at mm -hmm. one time and I would spread myself too thin. So, you know, for years I was doing photography and I'm not doing that anymore. I can't. So I, I just don't want to do seven things. Okay. I want to do yeah. one thing really well. And then, so I like to see it as, okay, we're still, we have the acting and we're working when we work. And then mm -hmm. the resin is like my Joe job. And that's where I'll try to make some income, but it's still creative. Mm -hmm. And if I can just focus on those things, because I still have to my kids and be a mom and there's a lot. So when people ask me, do you still do photography? I usually say no. And I stopped doing commercials, I think like two or three years ago. I, I just don't have the headspace or the time mm -hmm. for it. I want to just focus on tv and and those auditions especially with my daughter going out for for commercials it it's yeah. too much so i think that for me like the mental health as i can try to streamline and focus and do my goals for i like to do a goals board at the top of each year 2022 do my i'm like okay i've got my things and um and now that i'm into nft see i'm starting again these things start to trickle in and now i'm doing this NFT, but it's because i'm a curious person yeah yeah but so that's interesting so i mean so you're you do try then to narrow down and weed out things as you now go I then. do because before I think I was a little bit too what's the word abstract or sporadic or just letting in too many juggling things. too many balls yeah you, yeah juggling too much I, yeah. I think and I think that makes sense like I was because if we always, get to a point no go ahead well I I just I always had a million projects going and I, and yeah like the one that got the most attention was the one that i thought was maybe the most viable right. and i don't know that that's a good strategy like yeah. i don't think most viable like unless all you care about is money and all you care about is is viability then okay there's merit there but yeah if you want to do something that has value to you and and is lasting then i do think you have to you know have a vision and mine that vision for, you know, all it's worth 
and then execute that, you know, right. and, and then and focus on that and, and take the steps towards that, that certain goal. Because to your point, I took a full-time writing job mm-hmm. in 2019, 2020, I was working from home, but it was full-time writing for a company called Chapters. And I was writing these um, like chat fiction with like little avatars, romantic stories. But when an audition would come through, I was stressed out because I didn't yeah. have time for it. And it was like at the bottom of the list. Yeah. And it was, I was doing a disservice to myself because mm-hmm. what was more important to me, writing these romantic stories or wanting to get on that show? Well, it mm-hmm. was the show, but I wasn't putting in the effort or the time or the that I needed to because I was so distracted with this other job because it was viable. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I didn't like the job. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I didn't like the people I was working with. So I was just in a really unhappy spot. And then the pandemic hit and then my kids were home and I was like, I cannot do all of this anymore. Yeah. So I walked away. I walked away from the more viable job. And I'm lucky that John has a viable job. And I yeah. know some people are in other situations, but you know, I, I also wanted to be there for them because mm-hmm. at that point there was no support. I was homeschooling them until the schools got things up and running. And then I was able to focus on my auditions again. And then, but then I'd get bored in between, which is when I found the resin. <laughs> it's all complicated. That's funny. But I mean, it also seems like you have to, you, it, um, there's a certain amount of, okay, it's doing its thing. Like the acting like we've been, we both of us have been acting, you know, for decades at this point in time, there's nothing we really have to do on a day-to-day basis. That's going to make that big of a difference for yeah. any audition that's going to come through. Right. Like maybe there's a random job out there that would cause us to have to really do some serious work. Yeah. Um, but most of it's muscle memory and emotional memory. Yeah. It's like, it's right at our fingertips. Like, yeah. And the more the you do okay, it, do it. Yeah. The more you do it, the more you yeah. can just so it's on autopilot. Don't forget to leave a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. New episodes every Tuesday. And for short clips from each episode, check out YouTube. Thank you. And don't forget your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want. <laughs>